Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Josh Good. For most of the past decade, Josh has been the Chief Information Officer of Scan Health Plan, one of the nation's largest not-for-profit Medicare Advantage plans. Scan earns about $4.5 billion in annual revenue. As CIO, Josh oversees Scan's digital strategy, business intelligence, IT infrastructure, project management, consumer experience, electronic data interchange, and application development. Scan has grown dramatically through his tenure, and I look forward to hearing how he's managed through the growth and what he foresees in the future for the company, among other topics I'm sure we'll tackle together. Josh, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you having me on the uh, podcast today. Yeah, a great pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. Well, maybe you can take a quick moment (laughs) and describe uh, Scan Health Plan, providing an overview of, of, of your organization. Sure. Yeah. Um, so SCAN is a Medicare Advantage plan, primarily a Medicare Advantage plan, been in uh, business uh, for over 45 years. We're based in Long Beach, California. And if you look at you know SCAN during the course of that 45 years, really been a regional, you know, we're a not-for-profit Medicare Advantage plan, really focused on California, even in particular Southern California. Um, you know, that has changed a lot over the last couple of years. We have a new uh, CEO that has come in, Dr. Sachin Jane. And really, you know, SCAN has been known um, nationally for its brand around quality service experience, uh, in particular around the Medicare Advantage product and really, you know, taking that brand and expanded it. So we've, you know, expanded into, you know, multiple states now. Uh, and we've also expanded into clinical ventures. So when you look at Scan Health Plan, we actually sit up under Scan Group. Uh, the health plan, you know, by far generates the most of our revenue. We've got you know multiple clinical ventures that we have launched over the last couple of years, and then we also have the Scan Foundation and our community organization as well. So a, a pretty broad organization, as I said, based out of Long Beach, California. Fantastic. I appreciate that overview. And talk a bit about your role as Chief Information Officer. I mentioned for most of the past decade, uh, uh, in fact, later this year, you will celebrate your 10th anniversary with the firm. You have been CIO. Talk a bit about the role as it stands now, please. Yeah. um, Yeah. And for me, hard to believe I'm coming up on uh, 10 years as CIO here. It's uh, amazing how fast it goes. And I've definitely gained a few gray hairs during the, uh, the years there. So um, you know, for me, uh, my responsibilities uh, include those of the, you know, traditional CIO role. So I've got, you know, infrastructure, you know, information security, um, you know, application development, um, you know, digital strategy. You know, I own our analytics technology, you know, and this is probably a little different than some other payers. We, yeah, I don't own enterprise reporting. We have our healthcare informatics group. Um, they own our enterprise reporting um, I do own consumer experience, which is, you know, probably a little different than some other organizations. And, you know, by design, where when you look at IT, we're at the you know center of everything that we do. You know, we support every constituent that, you know, we interface with as a company. Um, you know, so we really felt that was going to be the right place to put our consumer experience team. So, um, you know, I do have responsibility over that team as well. Can you talk a bit about what's, I'd love to double click on consumer experience, as you point out, uh, an interesting uh, an interesting area of purview for a chief information officer, not all of your peers are responsible for it, though a growing cadre perhaps, but talk a bit about the rationale, you, you began to talk about the rationale, yeah. including under the CIO's portfolio, talk a bit about uh, the way in which you run that, how, how, how you think about that. 
Yeah, yeah. For us, um, you know, it's really important, especially nowadays with what's going on. The digital experience is really just at the forefront of everything we do and how we interface with those constituents. Although it's not our only channel and mechanism, you know, especially being a Medicare Advantage plan, we you know are primarily servicing an older adult population. But for me and for the organization, it was important that CXI sit within the IT organization where we could really define those digital experiences. And, and we go through and we do, you know, journey mapping. We've got maps that talk about the experience that a member will go through, a provider, a broker, even our employees. And we map that out and we use that to drive our technology strategy. What are the changes? What are the gaps? What are the opportunities that we have to you know, drive a better experience. And even within that CXI team, you know, I've got a analytics team that is focused on consumer analytics. And, you know, we wanted to bring that together where they're doing UX design, they're building the experiences. And then we couple that with the analytics, they're identifying insights and using that to inform our experience, our strategy overall. Now that makes sense. Very, very interesting. I appreciate that overview. Um, I wanted to also ask you, as someone who joined a company that was very different uh, nine plus years ago, certainly a lot smaller, a lot more regional, as you pointed out, even uh, uh, primarily yeah. focused on Southern California. Talk a bit about uh, what those early days were like and the organization you found and maybe some of those early things that you began to change uh, reflective of what you saw as the growth ambition of the organization. We've really changed a lot over the 10 years, and uh, not just from an IT perspective, but just as an organization, as I was alluding to. And, you know, for me, coming into the IT organization really was a, you know, a turnaround situation, which my background is consulting, spent 15 years at Accenture, and I, I was excited. I mean, to me, it was, you know, a big challenge. And, you know, when I came into the organization, our core admin system was actually written in a programming language called RPG. It, you know, it predates COBOL. I, I literally could not find developers. You know, we were scouring the globe looking for developers and, you know, but I, I had to come in and put a modernization strategy in place, um, really touching on all aspects of the technology organization. And when you look at a payer organization, um, you know, we've got a lot of applications required to run our business. This plan was a really a four year plan that had to go through and we replaced over 40 systems, um, you know, including our core admin systems. But not only that, I mean, it was an organizational change I had to implement, you know, before I even got there where, uh, or got into the overall transformation where when I came into the organization, our entire team was based in Long Beach, California. There was no offshore, had to implement offshore. And, and I'm a really a big proponent of having a onshore offshore model where running a 24 by seven, you know, IT operation where we can really accelerate delivery. I had to come in and put that in place first before we started executing on that strategy where yeah, we had those 40 system implementations, really had to get that foundation in place. For me, coming in 10 years ago, it was really uh, pretty much a ground up build. We, we didn't have a security team, had to build out our strategy around security, build up the team. We also were 100% uh, on-prem. Part of our transformation was you know, migrating us into the cloud. And you know, it was an exciting journey. It took uh, five years. And as I talk to my CIO peers these days, I tell them about, you know, I've got a lot of people that reach out and ask about the modernization strategy or transformation. And I tell them nowadays, it's not just a point in time. 
you got to go through and I had to go do a big budget ask. I think I spent seven hours on the podium presenting to our board about the whole strategy and asking for the budget, which is obviously not a, a small number. But nowadays, transformation and modernization is just, I feel like we're always on this treadmill from an IT standpoint and we're all the time just having to continue to modernize or what. So, but it's been an exciting, uh, very exciting journey for it sounds like it, and 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 probably a, a good orientation to expect that there's a that that need for modernization is an ongoing rather than a destination, an ongoing journey for for you and for the organization. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I alluded to the fact that it, it, yours is a company that's grown dramatically, grown a lot through acquisition, and in fact, I, I mentioned currently roughly four and a half billion dollars in revenue. It's been reported that that's going to be upward of seven to eight billion after the Care Oregon uh, Union, uh, which I know is has not been integrated as yet. So more yep. to come as well. Can you talk a bit about, as an organization that has been acquisitive, how you as a technology leader have thought about digesting other organizations and bring them into the fold from a tech and digital perspective? Is there a game plan or a blueprint you've developed in order to, uh, to, to do that effectively? There is. And, you know, and I touched on it earlier where it's really an exciting time at SCAN right now, where over the last two, three years under Suchin really have grown the organization. And, you know, we're growing it organically. We're expanding into new states. We're adding a lot of new products. And then to your point, we're very excited about the Care Organ integration where, you know, we're going to be coming together. And if you look at it, I mean, we're two very uh, like-minded organizations. So Care Oregon is the largest Medicaid program in the state of Oregon. And, you know, not-for-profit, very mission-focused, very focused on servicing the members, high-level quality. And when we looked at how aligned we were culturally, and we look at the changes that are going on in the industry, from a, a regional not-for-profit standpoint, it's really getting hard to compete, especially from a technology standpoint with the big, larger nationals. We're operating on a much smaller budget scale. You know, a lot of times I'll say, you know, I've got maybe 1% of you know, United's uh, budget from an IT perspective uh, or you know, Kaiser, but those are our competitors. That's who we're going head to head against or what. So yeah, we're excited about having the opportunity to be able to pull our resources and really you know, we're going to be building a new digital ecosystem and looking at others that we can bring into the health right group, the other not-for-profit regionals that are going through some challenges out there. We're, we're both two financially strong companies, Scan and Care Oregon, uh, and we're trying to create this safe harbor. Or what? Very excited for it. Um, and for me, it's getting a little bit back to my roots on consulting days of doing merger acquisitions, technology strategy. And we're going to be building a brand new digital ecosystem. And I've been using the analogy, you know, it gives us a chance to eliminate some of our technology debt. But I like to think about in the analogy, we've got two houses, you know, we can go in and remodel those houses, or we could take the lot next door and go build a new digital ecosystem. And and take the best of what we've done from those uh, two houses and add in some new stuff and look at how do we do it right or what. So excited about that. We're just now starting, you know, obviously we got regulatory approval later this year, but talking high level organizational design, doing things around lining up from the, uh, the cultures, which is, you know, anyone that's been through a merger and acquisition, I always tell them, I actually spoke about this at a conference last month, where getting clarity on the cultures, you know, making sure the cultures are really 
aligned is very critical for any of these mergers acquisitions. I, I literally get pretty tactical with it where I like to go through and document what is the current state culture of each organization. It's funny, if you get 20 people in a room, everybody, every company thinks they really know their culture, but you get 20 people in a room, uh, always, always willing to bet half of them will not align on the culture that they have as an organization, but always like to get them in a room, align on what is the current state culture and then literally model out where are we going? What is that to be state from a cultural standpoint? And you know, you get that right. And then from there, you guys start building around the architecture and all the other things. Application rationalization is always a fun exercise. Everybody's always close and uh, got a lot of emotions around their applications or what that they're excited about. But for us, we're, uh, we're very excited. And me personally, very excited about what's ahead just from my leaning in on some of my roots from the consulting days. So. Yeah, very interesting. You, you, you talked about this cultural element, which is so, in, in many cases, the determinant as to whether or not an acquisition is accretive in the first place is whether the cultures uh, you know, meld well together. And I wonder... What conclusions have you drawn about Scan Health Plan's uh, culture or the technology culture more specifically? Are there certain attributes you call out when people ask you a bit about the culture of the organization that you run? Yeah, we um, in Scan has really always had a really strong culture. Yeah, we really, yeah, it's really been focused in on how do we do the best for our members? You know, how do we service older adults? And yeah, one thing somewhat unique, although we feel Care Oregon has the same attributes, it really bleeds down the entire organization and the frontline staff where, you know, we put our concerns, grievances aside, and we're really always focused in on what is best for the member. And that resonates through the IT organization as well. And I push my staff to really understand what we're doing from a business perspective. Go spend a day in the contact center. Let's get out with our clinicians and let's go spend a day with the care managers and really understand what's going on from a, a business perspective. And then we've been going through a cultural transformation in IT really over the last 10 years that I've been there. Much like I was saying with modernization, I think your culture has to continuously transform as well, where when I came into SCAN, you know, we were a not-for-profit a um, little bit of a slower moving technology culture mindset. After five, it was a ghost town in the IT organization or what. And we've had to transform that. And we had to transform into a more agile, nimble organization. So, you know, we've moved ourselves along that scale where we stay focused on our member. We're focused in on quality and service. And then we strive to be as fast and nimble as we can. But as I look at where we're going as a company and how we're growing and scaling, and I'm, you know, I'm actually actively working on this with my, my teams, my organization, we've got to get more nimble. We've got to, we've got to move faster and we've got some initiatives underway to look at how do we do that? Our scale, uh, we're going to be doubling in size as an IT organization with Health Right Group. And we don't plan on stopping. We continue to grow organically. And then there's other acquisitions we want to do. So, you know, I'm going through working with my team on how do we scale and what does our culture need to be like uh, to be able to support the future state organization? Yeah. And you mentioned among your uh, the areas within uh, your responsibilities is analytics. You own analytics. Uh, yeah. And I know that putting data into members' hands as well as employees' hands uh, in the right way so that they can make uh, better uh, informed decisions is a priority for you and for your team as well. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about that analytics program. Yeah. 
uh, and how you how you think about running that. Can you speak a little bit about your own uh, analytics or data strategy? Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of a uh, federated analytics model. So this is going a little bit back on when I first got here. But when I had the enterprise reporting organization, I probably had 15 people that were report writers. And I remember coming in and looking at you know my backlog and looking at the situation. Yeah, you know, I've got these 10 or 15 people trying to write reports. I've got a backlog of you know 50 to 100 reports, and someone needs access to data. It, it would take weeks, if not months, to get them a report. So one of the early things they did was put in place a federated reporting structure where uh, I actually worked with our HR team. And I went out and I pulled everyone that had business analysts in their title. You know, we had a lot of them, I think it was 70 or 80 at the time that were sitting in the business. I worked with HR and I made it a requirement where we went out, we acquired uh, Tableau, we got AlterX, tools that enable self-service reporting. And we created a center of excellence to support these business units. But we talked about making a requirement as if you're a business analyst at SCAN, you need to be trained in Tableau and really got it to the point where these units, these analysts could fish on their own, so to speak, or where they didn't have to come through our IT process where we got to prioritize. We had a lot of requests. That option was still there. We still had the center of excellence where we're there to support, but it was able to enable those business units where they can get data much faster, get it to their colleagues they're working with on a day-to-day basis and answer those questions and really use data to inform our decision-making or what's very impactful. Um, and then, yeah, we do the same to other constituents, as you mentioned. I mean, we're we're very big on the data we push out to our providers, sharing it with them, giving them insights on our members where they're often hands-on performing clinical services or what. And to me, yeah, as a healthcare payer, it's our moral imperative to be strong on analytics. We're we're a data aggregator, we're kind of at the center of the universe when you think about it from a healthcare perspective. It's an imperative for us in my mind that we really leverage that data to draw insights and really inform each of our different constituents. And I know that uh, by extension, from a data, data and analytics perspective, artificial intelligence is another area that you, you've you invested in. Uh, even I know from our past conversations to the point of putting together an advisory board on AI. Can you talk a bit about uh, the constitution of that board and its, its, uh, its mission, if you will, as well as the broader program you're assembling relative to artificial intelligence? Yeah, so we're really excited, much like a lot of others in the industry, really excited about AI, looking to lean in it pretty heavily. For me, I think about and dating myself a little bit about the early 2000s, late you know, 90s, where outsourcing was kind of all the rage. And I see AI being similar to that, where it's going to change the way we work. I mean, there's been other technologies that have come along you know, I think about blockchain and I remember talking and presenting to the board on blockchain four years ago, which I think is amazing technology. But I talked about it's going to be a challenge to transform the industry because the entire industry has to align and adopt blockchain to really make a difference. And you know, I was presenting on this in the board in May. What I told them about AI is very different than that is this is within our control. We don't have to wait on the entire industry to change. And this is really 
going to revolutionize the way that we operate as an organization. We're really excited about it. We set up a emerging technology operating model and uh, I originally called it a AI operating model and uh, actually got advice from uh, Jim Ronaldi's, the former CIO of uh, NASA. You, you probably know him yourself, Peter, or what, but Jim and I were talking about it and I I was describing this AI operating model and advisory committee we were standing um, we were standing up and he actually advised me to rename it to emerging technologies because in two or three years there's going to be another technology that will replace AI and and it won't replace AI but it will supplement AI. So I I took Jim's advice there and we called our emerging technology operating model and it's, it's integrated into our IT planning process and what we've done is really brought a focus in on and our focus areas for this year and next year are generative AI, brought a focus to that. And we're working with our business users. We've got a work group that involves people across the company, identifying use cases where we prioritize, we really look at what's the ROI and how can we identify generative AI solutions that really can move the needle. We take those use cases. Uh, we're working with a couple of VC firms to see, do they have solution partners that could either build the solution or they may have a partner firm that already has a solution for that. We'll look at them internally to potentially deliver on them as well. We have our own AI machine learning platform we use from an analytics standpoint. And then we have our advisory board that we are still in the process of setting up where we've got a couple of external advisors on board to date, probably going to add another member or two. And what we're doing with the advisory board, we're using them to help us drive our strategy. What are those things from an external perspective that we may not be seeing from an AI perspective? You know, helping us really define the guardrails, our policies, our procedures, responsible AI. How do we need to make sure that we are doing the right things? They're actually helping us identify solutions as well. We've tapped into a couple of the ones we have to date are very integrated into kind of the AI network out there and helping us identify solutions and then also helping us identify new use cases. So, uh, but we're, we're very excited about it. I mean, I think it's really, like I was saying, like outsourcing change jobs back in the early 2000s. I think it's going to really have a dramatic impact on our operations. And it's, it's going to be something we're going to be working on for a long time. I mean, the when I look at, especially from a payer perspective, there's just so many areas of application for AI. Very, very excited about it. That's very interesting that you're also taking such a uh, thoughtful and measured approach in involving a number of, of external parties to help advise as you develop your own plans internally as well. A good counterbalance, perhaps, to the possibility of groupthink on a topic to expand one's uh, aperture a little bit further for insight. I really, really think that's a, a wise thing to do. Yeah, one of the other things we've done, and I, I actually spoke uh, at a Ivana Gartner conference about this uh, a couple months ago, and I, I some of my CIO peers were looking at me like I had three heads or what, that, something we did that was a little different or what. So we have not block, blocked access to chat GPT, some of the other prompt engineering tools. Um, we've got a set of security tools, data loss prevention tools that are monitoring access to it, but we have embraced it as an organization. I am actually training my teams and the staff down to our frontline staff on 
how to use ChatGPT. We put a policy in place. We've got monitoring in place, but I actually hold training classes. I've got a resource on my team that has been holding master classes. We have office hours. People can come in and people down on the front lines, you know, are contact center agents. We've made it available to them. And uh, when I was talking about it two, three months ago, and I think it was like the day after Apple had announced that they had blocked ChatGPT, I uh, got a lot of weird looks from my uh, CIO peers when I talked about doing that. So very interesting. Well, I want to also ask you, Josh, there are a number of trends we've been speaking about right, relative yeah. to data analytics, artificial intelligence, blockchain. Are there other uh, trends that excite you, whether whether uh, technology trends or beyond, uh, as you look to the future that you would uh, underscore? Yeah, I mean, when I think about it from a healthcare perspective, we do lag behind some other industries. I mean, from my perspective, it's not from, you know, us trying to fund or trying to, you know, not want to go after and leverage new technologies, but healthcare is complex. And I think some of the big technology companies that have moved into healthcare, they've recognized uh, how complex healthcare is. And what I'm excited about, I think this will go back to AI. AI is going to simplify things for us. It's going to minimize some of those barriers that we've had and reduce some of the complexities when, within healthcare where we can do more from an industry perspective and we can be more like the financial services industry and we can really kind of and some of these other industries, retail, where they may be a little bit more advanced for us, you know, and the way that they engage with their consumers. So for me, I, I think there's a big revolution out there that's on the horizon around how we deliver care. Where do we deliver care? It's always brick and mortar. You got to go to a facility for everything. And we've already seen some of that change over the last couple of years, in, in particular with the pandemic. But with technology, AI, I think we're really going to see care change. And these changes are going to be enabled by uh, technology. And it's going to be going to be all populations, not just your commercial, which are your younger populations. But we're we're seeing a lot of adoption of technology across the older adult population. And I especially own a consumer experience. I'm excited about that. I think technology is going to bring down some barriers. We got to continue to make sure we don't make it complex for these constituents, but I think the opportunity is really going to accelerate there over the next several years. There's a point you've raised, Josh, understandably, <laughs> you work for a not-for-profit organization, uh, you know, yeah. uh, 10 years and before you worked at Accenture, presumably a lot of your clients there were for-profit organizations. Talk a bit about some of the interesting facets of, of operating within that model, uh, whether that be constraints you have or, or new ways of thinking about things that others might not as a result of that structure. Um, how would you typify that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, good question. You may get me in trouble with that question with some of my old peers at uh, some of the public companies. Or, but, <laughs> you know, one of the great things about working for a not-for-profit, and this resonates in our mission, we're, we're really focusing on our members. And we cap our margins. You know, we target 1%. Anything above that, we look to reinvest. We look to give it back to our members and our constituents to improve the system, improve, you know, the lives of older adults. When I look at and, and 
you know, my experiences working at some of the for-profit companies, that's not always the case. I mean, you've got a different set of constituents that you're beholden to. You know, you've got to return profits to those constituents and you're not always making decisions that are in the best interest of your members and the best interest of driving care. What And it's, you know, it's tough to say. And it's it's something that, you know, and this goes back to Health Right Group, where if you've ever heard Sachin speak, that he's really passionate about how do we make sure that these not-for-profits still have a place, you know, five to 10 years from now in the healthcare system, because we do have a, a little bit of a different focus. We don't, we're not beholden to investors. We have a different mission where we're really looking at what can we do? At the end of the day, it's all about what can we do to improve the quality of healthcare for our members or what? That really resonates through everything we do at SCAN and in HealthRight Group, it's um, will be the same. Very interesting. I wanted to also ask you, Josh, as somebody uh, who has had an unusually long tenure as a chief information officer, more than double uh, the average uh, and somebody who, in the grand scheme of things, rose to the role very young. Um, what have been some of the secrets to your success or the difference makers along the way that have enabled you to uh, take on the responsibilities that you have uh, at an early age and for a prolonged period of time? Yeah, a number of things from that regard. One, I was fortunate coming out of college to get into a consulting career. I, I work with several of the local universities around L.A., uh, mentoring and talking to students. And I always encourage them, you know, if you have the opportunity, really explore a career in consulting because you know, it allows you early on in your career to really get a diverse background on an understanding of technology, business, you know, how you need to work. And it helps develop a service mentality as well, where for me, I think part of my success as a CIO has been bringing that consulting service mentality into the industry side of things, you know, where, and I've built this into the culture of my IT team, where we are a service oriented department. And I, you know, when I meet with my peers, my other executives, I feel it's my responsibility, it's my team's responsibility to make them successful. Our success is their success and their success, we're here to enable it. And to me, that's been one of the secrets to my success is really looking at, as I approach my peers, my executives, how do I make them successful? The other thing I would say that has helped me be successful, and I'm, I'm a big fan of this, is having a strong mentor network. You know, when you look at these mentors that are out there, they've addressed the challenges that you know, I face every day. They've been through it. Getting their guidance and experience is invaluable. And I, I try to give back and mentor as much as I can, but would encourage those out there. I mean, really having those mentors or, or even just, you know, your peers where you can exchange stories. They have a lot of CIOs that you know, I'll meet with once a quarter and just we'll just talk about, hey, what's going on? What are the challenges you're dealing with? You know, I'm always amazed at how we're all dealing with you know the same challenges or what. So having that strong network and mentor network has uh, been really key to my success as well. Well, Josh, good. Thank you so much for sharing uh, quite a bit about your journey, uh, your journey within the context uh, of SCAN Health Plan, but also beyond as well. It's been a terrific conversation and appreciate you sharing your insights with me today. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, having me on, Peter. It's been, uh, been a pleasure.